Will you come and read for us this morning? All right, Psalm 66. Uh -oh. To the choir master, a song of a psalm. Uh, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. They did. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a, a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come to your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised. Then when I was in trouble, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatted animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. Come and hear all you you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Amen. Thank you, Art. Dennis, thank you. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we are so thankful that you have called us to be the bride of Christ. Following you, following Christ in your commands. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are all-seeing, all-hearing, all-knowing, all-powerful to your own glory. Lord, Christ has commanded us to be perfect as he is perfect. Yet we have failed. In our efforts, we try and try but we continue to fail and we ask for forgiveness for that. Lord, we put our trust in Christ who carried our burden to the cross, a burden that we thought was too heavy to bear, yet Christ walks with us carrying that burden that we would not stumble. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us, for your patience, for your salvation through Jesus. And we ask for your guidance that we'd be able to walk in your ways and submit to your will that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. The long answer for what is church. I'll read this for us and we'll see the short answer together. God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected to eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. God sends out this community to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another. The short answer, let's say this together. A community elected for eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. And we've read from... Second Thessalonians, today we'll read from Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 18-22, and I'll read this for us. For through him we both, 
this is Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together to a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are God, and there is no other. You are sovereign and mighty. We praise you, Lord of heaven and earth. Thank you for your marvelous and powerful word. All power is yours, and we are yours to do with as you see best, to test us and purify us and build us up. Yes, we praise you who forgive our sin to make us holy. You who hears the prayer of his children and loves us forever. May your blessing be on this, our time with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. I want to look at this as I review quickly last week's message. Um, our concentration last week were on two words in this short answer, the word elected and the word unity or unified. And what I wanted us most of all to see last week in all of the hundreds of words I spoke were these simple truths, that the church is in fact God's big idea not ours. It is not something that we concocted, some idea that we came up with. This has been in the mind of God since before the foundation of the world. It is his big idea. And the second thing is that we are an elected people. And as I mentioned last week, that doesn't mean that anyone took a vote to get us in here. Although that is how you become a member of this local body. It isn't how you become a member of the body of Christ or the church of Christ or the assembly of Christ. That happens through the call of God. God is the one who calls his assembly together, his people. And that we are unified, again, not because of anything that we do or, quite honestly, if we relied on ourselves, we'd not be unified at all. But in Christ we are unified. We are one people out of many race, ethnicities of any kind, political standing, national birthing, allegiances, all of those things that aside, we are one. And we are from every tribe, nation, and tongue. We are unified and we gather we are not dispersed. We are a people who, wherever we are, gather with the called out of Christ. And those are the things that I wanted to bring out and stress last week. But I want to review for you also this morning what our plan is for the next several weeks. The plan is, is that we're going to be talking about the church. We're going to be talking about the church through the end of July. And the things that we're going to be looking at is we're going to look at three primary metaphors. We're going to look at the building metaphor for the church, which we'll do today. We're going to look at the body metaphor, which we will do next week. And then we'll look at the metaphor of the bride of Christ, which we'll do the third week. But we're only going to look at that part of the metaphor to see what we can see is true. After that, after our family Sunday, we will concentrate again on these same metaphors, but we're going to look at the metaphors to see what we saw and what we see, how it leads our feet. So what do we do as the result of who we are and what we have seen? That's the plan. That's where we're headed. And we're using the metaphors because they're a great way for us to learn significant truth 
about this beautiful thing that God has created and planned, his church. You'll also remember that I used my own metaphor, the metaphor of a hike. And we're going to use that throughout this because it helps to keep me on track. Get it? Anyway, we hike through the mountains. We're going to hike through the mountains of God's glorious plan for the church. And we're going to stop at various spots on that hike. And we're going to view this church from Christ's vantage point from, very, vantage point from various peaks. The peak today is going to be the building. But before we reach that spot on or that pinnacle on our trail today, let's look through the field glasses. If you remember, that's also my metaphor. The field glasses are the Spirit of God within us and the Word of God in front of us. Those are the glasses through which we must view the church. And we're going to do that. Cindy, could you pull up the first picture that I have? These are some of the pictures of the ways that people think of the church. And I don't know that this photograph really does this cathedral justice. It is in Brazil, and it is a most magnificent structure. Truly, truly beautiful. But it really isn't the church. The second picture, Cindy. This also is a magnificent, colorful, filled with light basilica or cathedral. This one's found in Canada. It really is magnificent. I kind of wanted to go through it with you and show you all the things that are wrong with it. But I thought, oh, this picture is too beautiful to do that. We'll save some. And then I want you to pull up the third picture. This is what some of us think of as the church. Now, it's not nearly as beautiful as those others. It doesn't have the stained glass window or the marvelous light coming through or the expanse, the grandeur, the greatness. But it's pretty great. But it's not the church either. But it is what we think of when we think of the church. And I want you to pull up the next one. This is a basilica or a cathedral in Barcelona. It's called La Sangrada Familia. You can't see it very well. It has been under construction for 140 years. And it's still not finished. And it is one of the ugliest things I have ever seen. But I digress. That really is not the point. It looks like a pile of mud to me. But um, anyway. But I want you to keep these three, four visions or pictures of the church in mind as we read from God's word and see what God says about his church. And Tom, I don't think I gave you those scriptures. I think you came up with those on your own, right? The ones you read today? Did I feed them to you? Ah, okay. Okay, all right. Well, I actually was kind of surprised that you chose Ephesians 2, 17 to 22. I want you to turn there in your Bibles. This is where we're going to focus our field glasses. So we can look and see from Christ's vantage point what the church looks like. So let me read this to you. Beginning in verse 17. And he, that is Christ, came and preached peace to you. To you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both, again as Tom pointed out, that's Jews and Greeks. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God for the Spirit. May Christ bless the reading of this word. The first thing that we see 
when we look at this passage is there is something we don't see. And that is, we don't see the church depicted as a physical building. In fact, I did a little bit of work, and it's very interesting to note that not a single spot, not a single verse, not a single reference in all of the New Testament refers to God's church, the ecclesia, as a building. The exact opposite of that is true. It is never referred to as a physical building. It is not physical. But you know, even though we can't touch it or see it with our physical eyes, we can perceive it with the eyes of our hearts. And I hope that we see that today. So my key point in this very first thing that we see is that you can't look through God's word, aided by the spirit of God, and hope or expect or see the church as a building or a structure. It simply does not exist. The second thing we're going to see this morning is that the illustration or the metaphor used here is a masonry structure. And in order for us to really give the, get this, I want to, there may be some stonemasons in here, I don't know, but I doubt there's any first century stonemasons in here. Some of you look like you might have been the first. But um, anyway, um, I know, the fingers are all pointing at me. Um, but the truth is that we, we kind of lose our understanding when we don't think about the context, the cultural context in which this passage of scripture is being shared. So what does a masonry building in New Testament times consist of and look like? First, it is built upon a firm foundation. And last week, if you were listening, you heard that the solid rock upon which that church is built is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He declared that what Peter declared was the fact upon which he would build his church. And that fact would be verified by the prophecy described in Jonah, the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Those are the two things that make up the bedrock upon which Christ will build his church. Notice, he will build his church. Not, he might build his church, or together with others, he'll build his church. He will build his church. That will become, I think, a bit more important as we move through. But after the firm or after the firm ground upon which the foundation is laid, the foundation itself has two major components. The most important component of a masonry building in biblical times is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the most important part of a masonry building because it is from that cornerstone, the setting of that cornerstone upon the firm foundation, that the rest of the building is built in reference to it. What do I mean by that? From that cornerstone, the level lines are laid out and the plumb line is laid out, all in reference to that cornerstone. And again, I hope to make that even clearer as we go through here. But the cornerstone must is not only the thing against which all other things are measured in building, a masonry building, but it is also important and critical that that stone be faultless. A cornerstone bears the majority of the weight of the building. The cornerstone, if it has a fissure or a fault in it, can crumble. And if it crumbles, everything crumbles. It has to be faultless. And then the third thing in a masonry building in biblical times is that there are um, other stones that are laid. They're called foundational stones. That's the first layer of stone that's laid in reference to the cornerstone. These are critical. They're the first layer. They must be perfectly level and they must be perfectly plumb. They have to be laid out in reference to the cornerstone. 
And finally, the last part of this building that we're going to talk about anyway, the masonry buildings in the New Testament, are that there are multiple rows of stones laid on top of that foundation and that cornerstone. Those stones can vary in size and shape and color and texture. Oftentimes it didn't matter. It's just whatever quarry they could get rock from. But the thing that is true of them is that every single one of those stones supports the stone next to it and is supported by the foundation and the cornerstone. Every one. All of those stones. In their varying sizes and shapes and colors and textures, they are all bearing weight and their weight is being borne. So, with that bit of knowledge in your head, let's look at the metaphor more specifically. First, firm ground. Again, last week I talked about this. Matthew um, 16, 18. Jesus declares it from what Peter declares. Upon this rock, Peter, the declaration that you have made and the prophecy of Jonah that I will rise from the dead. That's the foundation that, or the, the firm ground, not the foundation, the firm ground upon which the foundation will be laid. Then the foundation has those two elements. Remember the cornerstone and then the foundation stone. The cornerstone. Pretty easy for us to figure out what that cornerstone in the church is. One, because it makes logical sense. But two, because God's word declares it. And maybe it should have been the other way around in my point. It should have been first point, second point. But anyway, so I want to read to you Second Peter, or no, First Peter 2, 4 through 8. And Peter is quoting a big portion of what this is that I'm going to read to you from Isaiah 28. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and this is the Isaiah quote, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Notice Christ here. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is a living stone. Christ is the stone the builders rejected that God chose. A precious stone chosen by God. Rejected, yet becoming the chief cornerstone. So, this living chief cornerstone rejected by the builders yet chosen by the greatest of all builders to be the cornerstone and precious to him that is God. What is he to you? What is he to you? Is he a stone of stumbling? A rock of offense? Are you building upon this chief cornerstone? Or are you building your life upon gravel, hay, and stubble? Do you value him above all other things? People, this question is not just for those who don't believe in Christ. This is a question that is important that we constantly ask one another. It is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Is Christ the chief cornerstone of my life? Do I measure everything else in reference to him? Everything else? Is he of greater value to me and to you than any other thing? 
Is Christ precious? Is he the treasure that you're willing to sell everything in order to obtain? Or is he just another stamp? I can't answer that question for you. And by asking it, I'm not assuming an answer. I don't know you that well. And I can't answer for you. But I can't answer for me. And I have to confess to you that that Christ being that precious and that important to me and for which I am willing to sell out everything in order to obtain has not always been, nor is it now even always true. And I say that to my shame. But admitting it allows me to repent of it and then come back to that living stone. And again, Take my measurements from him to see my plumb line. Is it lined up with Christ? Are those leveling lines straight in my life? Each of us must answer that question. You can't escape it. You may think you can, but you can't. And at some point, you will give an answer. To that question. Think carefully. How you ought to answer. And how you want to answer. But next we have the foundation stones. And this is very interesting. Ephesians 2, 20 and 21. The same passage we're in. says built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure. Being joined together. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And here I want to read to you the passage from Isaiah 28 that Peter quoted partially from Isaiah 28, 16 and 17 is what I'm going to focus in on. 17 is really my focus. But listen, <clears throat> thus says the Lord, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone. A precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes in him will not be in haste. And I will make justice a line and righteousness the plumb line. Now, this is really important when you're looking here at what Peter or what Paul is saying about the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. Those are the measuring lines that are used. Justice and righteousness. The prophets did a beautiful job through the inspiration of God and through their lives to show us that the leveling line is justice. Not man's, but God's. That God's leveling lines are totally horizontal, completely level. You've heard the phrase, the ground is level at the cross. Well, there is a lot of truth to that little statement. All of us are measured by the same set of standards, God's justice. He determines what is and is not right, just, true. He alone has that authority. It is his creation. He made those decisions. We like to argue with him about it, but nonetheless, he wins the argument. He is the one that determines what is justice. It's never man's. And that justice is always, always in reference to Christ who paid that we might be justified. So the prophets help us to see the justice of God. The apostles were given the beautiful duty and responsibility to show us the plumb line, which is the righteousness of Christ. 
the apostles taught us. Now, I'm not making this up. I didn't say we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But I want you to understand that these apostles and prophets are nothing unless they are in reference to the justice and righteousness of the cornerstone, which is Christ. Only as they spoke in accordance with the word God gave them are they reference points to the cornerstone? And they are. Everything is laid in reference to Christ. Each of them, every apostle, every prophet, stones laid straight, level, and plumb in line with the chief cornerstone. They were the first to declare the glorious mystery revealed to us at the last time that Christ died, that Christ was buried, that Christ rose from the dead, that he was seen by men, ascended to heaven, and will come again. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. All for us who believe. Let that sink in for just a moment. All for us believe and we believe not because of deeds done by us in righteousness but in virtue of his own mercy he washed us in regeneration and renewed us in his spirit and made us living stones and lastly <clears throat> in this metaphor we have the rows of living stones 1 Peter 2.5 talks about this beautifully, and I love this verse. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk about the last part of this in about four weeks. But I want you to, what I want you to see this morning is that we are living stones who are being built. We don't do the building ourselves. We are being built. We are stones in the hand of the master mason. The man, Jesus Christ, God, Jesus Christ. God himself fashions homes, chips off those pieces that need to be gone, and then places us on the sure foundation. All believers make up the living stones. All must be laid in reference to Christ, the cornerstone, just as the apostles and the prophets were. Now, I've laid a bunch of uh, bricks up here because um, I kind of like the way Peter's always able to illustrate stuff. I have no idea if this is going to make any sense to you or not, but I'm going to tell you about it because it made sense to me. But the first thing I have to tell you is these are bricks. Well, they're cardboard bricks. They should be stones. Bricks are made by man. Stones are made by God. But I didn't have the strength to bring in a bunch of stones. So you're stuck with this as an illustration. But what I want you to hear, every time I say the word brick, you're going to think stone. Okay? Please don't think brick. You'd be all messed up. So the first thing I want you to see is that we have some Lone stones here. Look at there. I remember to use the word stone instead of brick. We have lone stones or bricks. And they're in various places. All over the place. But not one of these is a building. Not one. Don't fool yourself. Alone, you are not a building. As a living stone... You cannot be a building separated from all of the other living stones or from the foundation or from the cornerstone. It can't be done. You say, that's kind of silly, Paul, for you to say that. We know that. We know that. You know, get on with it. Why do I feel the importance to say this? Because evidence abounds everywhere in America that we think of ourselves as churches, as individual stones. 
I want to offer some proof to you. A quick glance at our culture, our nation, our state, our town tells us these things. Sports, entertainment, and business trump the gathering all the time. We come when it's convenient to the gathering of God's people as long as nothing else gets in the way. Now, I'm probably preaching to the choir here because you guys are here. But the reality is that is what characterizes the church. This sense of I can go it alone. That is a false doctrine. It is a lie from the pit of hell. It is the enemy who wants us to believe we can do this on our own. You can't. But you know there's an even more pernicious and permeating lie in the body of Christ today than even sports or entertainment or business. And that is YouTube and Zoom. Because what those media have done is they have made us believe that we can be part of the church by being apart from the church. You cannot, and I repeat it as strongly as I know how, you cannot, I cannot be part of the building that God is doing and be disconnected physically from the body, from the other believers, from the living stones. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, months back, I mentioned to you the difference between the Greek you and the English you and how we read the singular when we read that. But this is not singular you. This is plural. All you all. It refers to the church and here specifically to the church in Corinth. Do you not know that you are God's temple? You are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. We misunderstand when we think we can do this on our own. And then I have this pile of bricks here and I hope you can see it. I'm not sure everybody can see it, but it's just a, a pile of bricks. Thank you. Stones. But this pile of stones is not a building either. And I wonder sometimes, do we think of ourselves this way? Just one stone among many. No critical role to play. No foundation upon which to be built. Just the part of a pile. I wonder. Or, or, or maybe we're just happy being part of a pile. Because in a pile, at least, we're not a stone all by ourselves. We're amongst other stones that are piled up. So maybe we're happy with that. We can, we can be in the pile, and, and we don't have any weight-bearing responsibilities. We don't have any responsibilities of sharing our strengths with the other stones. We don't have any need for the other stones because they don't know what our weaknesses are. And maybe we don't either. I wonder. I wonder. Oh, don't get me wrong. We are living stones. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a living stone. But that does not mean that you're not just trying to go in on your own or you're not just a pile. Christ is the cornerstone from which everything 
must be joined, leveled, and plumbed. A pile is neither level nor plumb. A single stone could be level, but it can't be plumbed because there's no referent, no reference point. We need each other. Are we glad to be living, living stones? They're not really wanting to feel or wanting or needing or feeling like we're part of God's greatest building project? Are we not willing to join the chief architect of time and space, of all of creation, of us into living stones and this edifice that he is building that is his church that will be his bride? Are we really satisfied just to be rolling stones tossed here and there? Various storms blow us about. Adversity, doctrinal controversies, political problems, opinions, all of these things blowing us apart, blowing us in different directions. Are we really, really happy to be part of that kind of a pile? I am not. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you not see the day drawing near? The day is drawing near. It is past time for us to act like just a pile of stones. You see, living stones can only be built into a spiritual house as they are fitted together and remain level and plumb to the cornerstone. It's only then. It's only then. Stones by themselves in a pile have no referent, no leveling lines, no plumb line, no load-bearing capacity. Don't kid yourself. Listen to the words from Ephesians 2.21. Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Tell me that's not more beautiful than any of those cathedrals I showed you. Tell me it's not more beautiful than this building. Living stone built into a temple, a house for God to dwell in by his spirit. That's what this building project is about. It's about us being together built into that holy structure. So why is it so important? Why, why, why have I spent so much time on this metaphor and the illustrations that I've been giving you? Primarily because it's, we so quickly forget things. We forget that it's Christ who builds his church. And we think we do. We act like we do. I think we should do it this way, and I think we should do it that way, or this evangelism program, or that outreach program. It is Christ who builds his church. No one comes to him unless he calls them. Now that isn't meant to say that there isn't work for us to do. We're going to talk about that in three, four weeks. But the picture that you need to see is that Christ is the builder. And we forget that. And then we forget that the materials he uses to build that church, his church, are living stones. Us. We forget that. 
all those who call upon the name of the Lord and confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. These are the living stones. It's cornerstone and foundation. Well, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead of myself. The other reason is that we forget that even though we don't build the church, we can damage it. We can cause fractures in its walls and in its roof. We can do that. The cornerstone and the foundation are not affected. But the walls, the roofs, the buttresses, they all are. How do we cause this damage? By exactly what I've been talking about. By thinking we can go it alone. By thinking it doesn't matter that we are joined to the local church. By thinking and imagining that we're not needed. The only reason you think you're not needed is because you haven't joined yourself in a way that you can see the need you fill. Can you imagine for a moment what it would look like for a building to be built? All of these various stones upon the foundation and the cornerstone, all these various stones, different shapes, standing in different directions, different colors, different textures, maybe different stones, I don't know, but all of them built together. And then for someone to come along and from the middle of that wall begin to take their stone out. And then someone else takes their stone. Well, I'm just going to go home. I don't need you. I don't see any purpose. Can you imagine how unstable that wall would be? Cindy, would you please pull up a picture? I'm going to show you how unstable that wall would be. That's what happens. The walls collapse. I don't want to be the cause of collapse. I want to be part of what God is building. And if that means I have to suffer with your sorry souls, I'll suffer with them. Just like you have to suffer with mine. People, Christ Church is beautiful. It is beautiful, but it doesn't look like any of those things that we've built with human hands. Because it is a structure not made with hands. But it is held together by hands, held together by hands. Cindy, would you pull up the first of the next pictures for me, please? Here's a church. This is the church in Ukraine, praying on their knees in the storm as war ravages their communities, their churches, their families. That's the church. Not some gloriously multi-million dollar building that we build to impress one another. That's the church. Cindy, pull up the next. This is the church. In the word together. Studying the word together with multiple races present, with people from every tribe, nation, and tongue together. That's the church. Giving itself to the word of God that they might be built up together. And Cindy the third, and this is the church, working. Working side by side with each other to meet the needs of others. Giving of themselves their resources. Giving of themselves their time. Giving of themselves even potential exposure to dangerous things in order to see that the needs of others are met. That is the church. We need to put away these false visions 
that we have of what the church is. And we need to see from the pinnacle of God's righteous holiness the reality that the church is not a building and it is not single stones laid out in random order. It is not a pile of stones that don't bear any weight, that don't have any reference, that don't care about what direction each one of them is laid. The church of Jesus Christ is a firm cornerstone laid out with a reference of Christ and plumb to the righteousness of Christ. Are you plumb to the righteousness of Christ? Am I? May Christ help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess to you my own blindness, the cataracts that I bear, that when I look through my own eyes, what I see is not the church. But what I see, Lord God, is pretty buildings made by hands. Dear God, in Christ, help us to see that your church is built by your hands and no other. And that you yourself are the cornerstone and you have laid true and sure foundations for us. And that you, Lord God, have made us living stones to live and to support one another. To support one another as each of us have vulnerabilities. Each of us have weaknesses. But we also each have strengths. Help us to see, Lord God, that we are each part of and necessary to the building that you are doing. And may we rejoice at the day of Christ when we are gathered together with the assembly of believers who shout with joy, glory, and honor. And praise be to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm stuck with Psalm 66. Oh, come and hear all you people who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I'm willing to bet this week in our lives we will find other stones, and maybe we can tell them our story, and maybe they'll join God's church. <laughs>